Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, the day after Watford lost away at Newcastle United. My name is John, uh, with me today is Colin. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, and Michael. Hello, normal service resumed. Oh, we'll get on to that in a minute. Uh, but we're not normal, Michael. Um, we might as well start with some positives after a loss. Uh, we have been nominated for the second year in a row for an award. Yes, terrific news. Really, really good news. Very proud to be nominated, shortlisted in fact, for the FSF, the Football Supporters Federation Awards. We are nominated in the uh, Best Club Podcast category, which is really I'm not going to lie, it's rewarding, it's really pleasing. Once once I found out about the reward, uh, the award, I sort of started thinking about it, and this is our ninth year of doing it, so it's nice to be recognised by such a sort of, because pres- they're quite prestigious awards, aren't they? So yeah, really, really good, but it did get me thinking about how much fun it is doing the podcast and how lucky we are, really, to support support Watford. So it's given me a warm glow this week, and it's uh, we've needed that in the last 24 hours or so, haven't we? The result, it, it might have taken a tarnish of it slightly, but not, not too much, because we're still you know, pretty high in the old Premier League. And you think back to nine years ago, we were miles and miles and miles away from that. But Colin, you know, you, you, yesterday, um, the whistle goes into the game. You're walking down the 50,000 sets of stairs that you need to, to get to, to get to the away section of um, St. James's Park. At that point, how were you feeling? I was feeling disappointed, I think, naturally, having gone all that way. But it wasn't anything like uh, the feeling that I've had uh, recently after a defeat that will not speak its name again on this podcast, I promise. <laughs> um, it was disappointing, but actually I felt we were frustrated really more than anything as a group of fans watching because we really had dominated that game really from start to finish. There was about a 15, 20 minute period before Newcastle got their goal where they kind of got on top of us territorially uh, and you kind of felt mm, it's, there's something we, they got corner after corner after corner and you thought one of these they're going to they're going to get a chance and in the end they scored from a free kick um which was very frustrating but before that in the, in the whole of the first half and and the last I don't know what 25 minutes we really dominated territory we dominate, dominated possession we dominated chances and in the end, we were just one of those days where we, it just didn't fall quite right. And it was summed up perfectly by Akaka's uh, miss right at the end. And that, that was that was the sort of game it was. And that, that happens in football. But the performance as a whole um, wasn't as good uh, as the Huddersfield and Wolves games. It wasn't as dynamic. It wasn't as sharp. It wasn't as crisp. But it was still a very good performance away from home. And on another day, we'd have been two up at half-time and out of sight by 60 minutes. just didn't happen. So, yeah, frustration, disappointment. But but that was all. And while you're creating chances, while you're still in you know while you're still in that mode of getting the ball into the last third, passing the ball reasonably well, creating good chances, you know we shouldn't be too disappointed. Well, that's the thing though. There's there's a feeling, you know, you, you sort of see the the game post game uh, develop on 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 Twitter, and and the focus goes on to the fact that we didn't score a goal, but made a lot of chances. Goes on to the finishing and the strikers and who was chosen, who wasn't chosen, who missed a chance, who didn't miss a chance, and lots of people missed chances. I think it's hard to sort of focus on one. Did you feel, Mike, that the, I don't know, were, did it feel like we were sussed out a little bit? Was success sort of been a, found to be a target because he's had two good games for us? It's a difficult one with Isaac's success because he's very much not the finished product. I think we all, we all know that. I think he's shown 
as much as he's shown stuff to be excited about, he's still shown the, the raw side of his, his game as well. He's certainly not the finished article when it comes to a Premier League striker. Um, and I don't think we need to be relying on him for the, for the entirety of the season as our go-to guy. But I think, it's, I think it'd be remiss of us to start pointing the finger at Isaac's success for the, for the reason for a, a, a defeat yesterday. Um, I don't necessarily think we were, we were sussed out either, to, to answer your question, because you know, after the Huddersfield game, we said there's no reason this Watford team can't go to Newcastle and win comfortably. And on another day, we would have done. Because if we scored first yesterday, if one of those chances had gone in yesterday, game over, forget about it. Newcastle aren't coming back from that. They, 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 it was quiet in the ground. Um, they were nervous. They were, there was just tension everywhere. And Watford looked like the Watford we've known and loved this season so far. So it very, very nearly went, went to plan. So I'm not really going to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater on this one. But it is annoying because there's a pattern you look at Fulham, to a lesser degree Arsenal, uh, and now Newcastle. We really should have got something out of at least two of those games. We should have won at Fulham, potentially got a draw, or even better at Arsenal. And, you know, we really shouldn't be losing yesterday. And, and I'm with Colin. I'm not too disappointed in terms of the fact it was a good performance. But that almost exacerbates it, doesn't it? That almost makes it even more frustrating, even more annoying, that the performance was kind of... 80-85% there and we just, we just didn't finish and that, that feels to me now it's starting to feel like a, a bit of an issue that we can't that we can't take our chances you know if it, it, I think Delafeu missed missed a couple on against Huddersfield didn't he and obviously it didn't matter at 2-0 and then and then 3-0 his chances didn't didn't matter there but yesterday I think he was he, he missed a couple as well didn't he so I think it's a collective thing. I'm not going to point the finger, finger at any one particular strike. I think we need to be more clinical if this season's going to pan out as we as we hope. That's the only way that we're going to, you know, you see people questioning what, what this season possibly could hold for, for Watford. Well, my view is the world is pretty much our oyster if we start taking our chances. Um, and when, and you do look, when you look at the personnel, when it's firing... They're great. There's lots of positives about Troy, about Andre Gray and, and Isaac Success. I have my, my reservations about Akaka. But when they're on firing, there's, there's a lot about them. But you could also say if they hit a dip in form, are they uh, a triumvirate of strikers that are going to get you 40, 50 goals between them? Probably not. So I think we're on a knife edge up front. I think we're, we've struck a balance quite nicely so far. But there's, there's three games there where we've missed out because we haven't been, been clinical enough. And that's sort of gnawing away at me a little bit. Not too, not too disappointed with the performance because, like I say, another day we would have ended up steamrolling Newcastle. Uh, and as we all know as football fans, you have games where, you know, the old saying goes, you can play till Christmas and not score. And perhaps it was one of those. But it's, it's happened again, hasn't it, a little bit. Um, the, the other thing about the game yesterday was that um, we played against a team that wanted to defend very, very deep. So all throughout the first half, they had eight, nine, ten players behind the ball. And we haven't really faced that because Wolves came out and attacked us. Even Huddersfield, they didn't exactly part the bus. They, you know, they, they had a go at us in those first sort of 10, 15, 20 minutes and could have scored but didn't. But yesterday, Newcastle really did set up uh, just to, to, to hold us off because uh, they understood the threats that we posed. And that, that did cause us some problems because they were, the, the, their penalty box was so populate, overpopulated by our players and their players all throughout the first half. It does make it more difficult to thread the eye of a needle and get the goal that you're looking for. But we did create some some you know, some great chances. There was one uh, where Isaac released uh, Delafeu on the right and he was one-on-one with the goalkeeper from a sort of, 
diagonal angle, but it, he he didn't quite have the confidence to finish it. I felt, and he thought I think he thought that Isaac had continued his run, which he hadn't. So he sort of passed it square into an empty space, which was very frustrating. There was another couple of sort of half chances, really, sort of little snapshots from eight nine yards. Both went wide. Mariapa had one. I think Hughes had one. I think Delafeu had another one. It just wasn't quite going for us. And Isaac wasn't bad at all. He, he, it wasn't a bad performance. He was just down a notch. And I felt that a lot of the players were, where they'd been eights in the last two games, they were kind of sevens, six and a halves, if that makes sense. And they just weren't quite as sharp and as crisp as they had been. But that might be because they were facing a wall of black and white shirts that were just determined not to let us through. When that happens, it, you know, we've seen better teams than ours find it hard to break down teams mm. that look to defend. I think we can take a positive from that, though, Colin, because we did, we did, we did create a few chances, didn't we? And uh, and I do believe that if we had scored, we'd have gone on. And I think Isaac's success could have had a penalty as well. I think he was he was probably too honest. He he stayed on his feet when yeah, definitely when there was there was there were two hands on him certainly in the penalty box, and there's certainly other players I could name, but won't that would have uh, hit the ground fairly fairly quickly. So I think the fact that I think you're right. I think the down and notch is probably the best way to describe it. But we all almost cracked it we were pro- we were probably closer than we feel I think today because it's it's disappointing we've given Newcastle their their first win and so I think we're probably harder on ourselves than than perhaps maybe we ought to be I'm not sure I can't I can't quite work it out it's a real funny one this I think um, you're right I think it's to do with expectation I think our expectation was that we have the better players and we're in a much better position in the league uh, we'd won six out of ten games they hadn't won a game and okay we're away from home but their squad is struggling they're, it's not you know they they weren't they had one chance really which they took from a free kick the, the corners we dealt with pretty well there was one where it sort of bounced around you thought oh they're going to get another goal but I think it was I think it was one nil at that point but or maybe before they scored it was uh, bouncing around and we and we ended up clearing it but they didn't really create anything and even the 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 fans afterwards were delighted obviously to get their first win but they they still know they're not stupid Newcastle fans they know that that's not like, oh, great, we're off and running now. We're going to get three games back to back. You know, they're really not that. They're there for the taking and, and plenty of teams will beat them up there, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, that's that's just where they are at the moment. And it's that, that makes it more frustrating because our expectation was we can win this game reasonably comfortably. If we can get an early goal, we can put, you know, we can start to dominate. And we did everything right, but we just didn't manage to get it in the back of the net. And I, I think it was a collective thing. I don't think it was, there wasn't really anybody that you could you could sort of dig out as as a villain, uh, although you know one has to. We'll maybe talk about it later about indiscipline because both Kapu and Holobas uh, got booked, which means Kapu's out and Holobas, who I thought was lucky really to get back in the side, immediately gets booked in a, in some kind of needless fracas at the end of the game where he goes and pushes players over and gets involved in a sort of ruckus. And uh, ref goes, oh, it's Jose Holabas. Let me get me the yellow card. Where is it? Here it is. There you go. And and that sort of thing is is that was frustrating. I found that particularly frustrating. But maybe we can talk about that later. But I, I think with Delafeo, it's a confidence thing. He hasn't been back very long. Isn't he? He's only his third start or fourth start. And I think his confidence will grow. Obviously, he scored a wonder goal against Huddersfield, and you feel like well, that's the standard now. You've got to be finishing as well as that. But you know, he he's still finding his finding his feet. He was frustrated with himself. You could tell that he was also against Huddersfield. So, and, and with a young striker like Isaac, you're going to get little fluctuations in form. You know, he's going to have one really good game or two really good games, and he's going to have a slightly less less good performance. But I I don't think it was a mistake picking him. I don't think Gray would have offered. Uh, was a be- was necessarily a better solution. Um, it just it just didn't go his way. 
But what I, what I would say, Colin, sorry about about the expectation. I think it's great that we've got these expectation levels, and they're not daft expectation levels. Where you expect our team to win every week, these are founded in performance and form. And you know, I expect us to go and give Southampton a, a real good game next week, and I'd probably expect us to hope to, to win away at Southampton. And I'm I'm quite it's it's, it's new for us as Watford fans to have yep. this yep. expectation that is founded in. You know, in in it's the basis to it, there's not just a hope that we might go and do something, and it takes a bit of getting used to, doesn't it? Expecting your team to go away in the Premier League, and if not win, then certainly put in a, in a good performance. So I think we're we're finding our feet as supporters, aren't we? Which is why games like yesterday, we sort of don't quite know how to how to feel feel about it, but. I, I'm love. I love feeling entitled to to have high expectations, and yeah. we've got these players that do set high benchmarks. And I think we're entitled to to expect stuff of you know we absolutely sing their praises when they when they play well, and and we have a right to expect that on a on a regular basis. I, I think it's brilliant. So overall. Gutted yesterday. Um, went and got it out of my system last night. Went to see Slayer at Wembley Arena. That's a, that's a pretty <laughs> decent way of uh, of blowing away any any cobwebs, if uh, if anyone's wondering. But on to the next. And you know, Southampton yeah. have taken an absolute pasting at Man City. Yeah. Um, there's there's no reason that they they won't be looking forward to to, to playing Watford at all. Um, and I'm I'm excited to go again. As we were walking out of the ground, there was a lot of people saying, "Golly, I wouldn't want to be Southampton next week because after the way we reacted post Bournemouth." Um, if we react at all in the same way after this defeat, Southampton are, you know, are going to have their hands full. So there was positivity already about the next fixture, which is exactly back to what you were saying, Mike, about having slightly different expectations than maybe last season or the season before or the season before that, where you think we've just got to get enough points. Now we're, you know, the ambition is clearly to finish in the top half. To finish in the top half, you have to win more games than you lose. And that means, you know, taking good performances and converting them into wins and doing it week after week. And the fans were entitled to have the expectation that we should go to Southampton and, and, and give a very good showing of ourselves and hopefully get the three points. The other thing that I have to say was, was a positive, John, was just watching the, the back four. And it's just a treat watching them because when you sit at 140 metres up in the air, <laughs> as you do at Newcastle, you get an incredibly good view of the shape of your team. You see how they're set up. And you see how well they've been drilled. And our back four was uh, just a thing of beauty. If, if you're a student of, uh, of defending, it was just great to watch the way they move uh, in tandem with each other. And a player that really stood out for me yesterday was Mariapa. It was a real captain's performance. He's got the armband. He's obviously very, very proud to wear that armband. He says it all the time whenever he's interviewed. What an honour it is. And But he also really led that back four and... He's uh, he made some very very important blocks as he always does because he's incredibly brave. I said that before. Never turns his back. Always faces up to the ball, and it was just great to watch them go up together, come back together, move across together. And Cathcart and Mariapa look look like a decent pairing in in the centre of that defence. So that that was a real positive for me. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. Mike's surname is Parkin. Here's a song called Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Good, glad to hear it. Now, not so good was, of course, Watford lost yesterday, and they lost to bottom of the table, Newcastle United, which is annoying. So I thought I'd ask you, which is the one team 
that you'd hate Watford to lose against? Newcastle. Newcastle, the, the team we lost to yesterday. Why is that? Yeah, because my granddad's a ball timer and he's, he's a bit boo. Oh dear, so yesterday's game was pretty much the worst of the season for you then? Yes. But do you, so we've got, who have we got next? Southampton away? How do you think we'll get on at Southampton? Good and score 500 goals. 500, and how many will Southampton get? No. 500 nil. And uh, quick congratulations because someone else scored today, didn't they? Who scored today? Me. Well done, mate. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye bye. Southampton next. Let's sort of let, let's leave this. We're well, not leave it behind. It's you don't leave a, a defeat behind, but you want to use it. Southampton. We, we, we're more than likely. Do you think, Mike, going to see uh, the start, the first start for such a long time of uh, of Chalabar? That fact that Kapu is injured, or will it be uh, a little bit movement around and maybe stick Gray on a, a, there and stick uh, Delafayu back a little bit? No, I think, and I think we have to. Colin's right to raise that discipline issue. It is so frustrating, you know. When Kapu got that card yesterday, it's like, ah, you know, he's in the form of his life, and going to another relegation, relegation threatened club like Southampton, you'd have loved Etienne Kapu to to be there and impose himself on that sort of game. You'd have thought it would 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 suit him perfectly at this stage in 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 the season. So really frustrating that we've ended up with with him being being suspended and Hollabas getting another booking. I mean, he's never going to learn, is he? But I think, no, I think... you know what, you know what, John. I'm, I'm uh, Mike. Uh, I'm sort of done with it, and, and <laughs> I was. I've, I've been had a sort of bromance with Holabas since he played for us because when our expectations were lower, he showed that kind of the, the winning spirit and the desire to really get at mm. teams, and yeah. and I personally loved him for it despite all the bookings. But now. You know, he really needs to show a bit more. He's 34 years old. I mean, obviously, he's not going to change. But it's just we can't rely on him not to get booked. No, that's and, right. And so you can't have players that regularly get booked. The referees are looking over thinking, hmm, I think that's a booking. You know, other yeah. players might have got away with something, but he doesn't because yeah. he's got that reputation. And I think it was perfectly all right to bring him on or bring him back into the team ahead of Messina, who had played well in the last two games. Uh, and kept the shirt from the first game because Holobas was available against Huddersfield, but Messina played. And this time, I think it was an attacking option. He thought, get Holobas on the pitch, get him further up the pitch, the Messina will go, get the crosses in. But his his set-piece deliveries were woeful. Mm. And he must have taken, I don't know, six or seven corners and six or seven free kicks and every single one. just There was no quality in those, in those dead ball strikes. And then the booking for the fracker, it wasn't even a tackle. He ran across the pitch and sort of pushed someone over. <laughs> it's just like I think I'm done. I think I'm done with him. I think it's like he's not reliable enough for a top ten side. He's a silly Billy. But to go back to go back to Southampton and I think so Southampton we're gonna miss Kapu. Um but I think Chalabar will come back in and we we've been talking amongst ourselves as as I'm sure a lot of Watford fans have been thinking, how are we gonna how is Chalabar gonna get back inside? And we said it was gonna be at the expense of Kapu and, and, and lo it has, has unfolded. But but to be honest, I think Kapu has been the the best performer out of out of him and Decore, I think Capu's hit the heights more frequently than, than Decore has this this season. So I'm frustrated that that he's not going to be playing at Southampton, as he, as you can probably tell. But also excited to see Chalabar. I think, as we've said over the last couple of weeks, he's he's had a bit of a roller coaster time of it. We're all pretty much certain that he's 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 going to be a star. 
But then if you take a step back and you think about how much time he's actually spent on the pitch for Watford in this in this spell, it's not a great deal. And, and he has got something to prove. I think he is, he's not in danger of his, of his career stalling, but... <laughs> He's got to he's got to grab this opportunity by the scruff of the neck. So I think maybe it might might play into our hands quite nicely because he'll he'll be on the pitch with with something to something to prove, and it's that almost um, a natural freshening up that that we're, that might be quite nice after after a disappointing defeat. And again, you're not going to worry that he's coming in for Kapu. He's a, he's a quality player, international now, of course. So with him starting, I think. Disappointed that that, that Caps isn't going to be playing, but but really excited for for, Chal- for Chalabar more than anything else as well. It gives him a, a chance to really go and uh, and kickstart his season for Watford and prove that he's a he's a worthy backup for for Kapu, who's been so good this season. So frustrating he's out, but again, we've got the squad depth, haven't we? In the, in that area, we've called it before. We've said it's an embarrassment of riches. It's let's let's prove it now let's show the watching world how how deep this squad is and 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 hopefully we won't feel the the uh, the loss of Etienne Capu too keenly I, I agree with you wholeheartedly I think it is a real opportunity for Chalabar I also think it's probably quite a good thing for Capu's going to have uh, next week off he's going to then it's an international break so he'll get two two weeks to to recharge the batteries we he really has been brilliant for us this season he's played all 11 games uh, so you know maybe it's a good opportunity for him to recharge his batteries and come back uh, in uh, you know in, for the Liverpool game perhaps or or, or games in the future. So I I don't think it's it's, uh, it's such a terrible thing that he's he's got his fifth card and I think Chalabar will be champing at the bit. I think him and Decore can could very possibly make a very good partnership there. They they did it at the beginning of last season before the injury. The other good thing, of course, is that when he aggravated his his knee injury playing for England. There was, a, you know, there was a lot of doom and gloom about, you know, how serious this, this, uh, this injury was. The sort of the, the new aggravated injury, but actually, it's only been what a couple of weeks, and he's he's back and he played a little part uh, yesterday. So yeah, so I'm I'm excited. Like Mike's really looking forward to seeing him start a game for us. I think he's, you know, he's still young. He hasn't played a great deal of football, at, you know, at Chelsea or on. You know, he plays. He went on loan a few times, but. It's going to be interesting to see him get a run in the side and see see what he can do for us. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Uh, another final episode of uh, Hornet Heaven uh, for this eighth series is out this Tuesday. Uh, here's a little clip when things aren't quite going right in Hornet Heaven. I love beating Spurs. I love hearing their fans whine. It's not fair. Little Watford are meant to be little. It's not fair. They don't like it up, sir. Exactly, my boy. Whenever we take the game to the big teams, we... Hey, what's going on? Look, sir. The ball's frozen in mid-air, sir. And the players have stopped. They're like statues. The whole crowd, too. The match has got stuck, sir. Oh, that's better, sir. Everything's moving again. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, dear. What's going on, sir? This is terrible, sir. Horny heaven. He's on the blink, sir!
This week, uh, Watford have been everywhere again. Um, the big club have been giving uh, fantastic access to uh, a few big newspapers, uh, one in particular being the FT, uh, who did a whole thing about our recruitment, uh, as well as the Daily Telegraph, who had almost like a week embedded with the, with the club. Um, it's, it's another sign, I suppose, Mike, that things are good, because you don't invite people in to have a look around when things are going too bad. But also the fact that, I don't know, there's a feeling I've got of one that they want to shout about how proud they are of, of what they're doing and how they're doing it, but also to educate people a little bit more because that we're still a little bit misunderstood. Absolutely. I think it's all those things, John. I think there's no denying it's a concerted attempt um, by the by the club to get eyes on us. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. It's because we, we should be proud of what we're doing. We have a model that, that is misunderstood, but is if you read the FT article in, in particular, you know, when it's laid out there in, in black and white, how we operate, it makes it makes perfect sense. Um, and the, the Jason Burt article in The Telegraph was, was fascinating, wasn't it? It was a, a week-long... Um, he was embedded, wasn't he, at the, at the training ground, so he got to see, see Watford Warts and all. And I think there was a very... I think the misunderstood thing is right. I think there's probably enough people are fed up of of, of people being a bit lazy is not the wrong word, but just sort of not quite getting under the skin, not quite getting what what they're doing, and, and not getting enough credit. Um, but also, I think there's a wider marketing type strategy, isn't there? To the more you give the press, the more you give the media, the more likely you are to get good stuff written about you and then perhaps when things aren't going so well you get a little bit more of a, a sympathetic ear because let's not forget there's um for those of you outside the uk you will have seen the um the premier league today special on on watford which was um the the featuring our very own mike parkin well yes so, yes <laughs> i played a very small part in that but the cornerstone of that two-hour show was an incredible amount of content video content that they'd spent a day at the training ground seemingly no one off 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 uh, off limits loads of fun um, little little pieces with all the, the interviews and and little setups where they were trying to recreate Robert Pereira's goal with Isaac Success and Queen and stuff so real fun stuff that people are enjoying watching along with the more serious you know an article in the financial times it doesn't get more cerebral than that really does it in in footballing terms certainly so I really love it, and I think what it is, it shows a confidence that, uh, it, that Scott and uh, and Gino have in the in the operation. It shows that they want to tell the world, and and I think they I hate this phrase, but I think what it is, they want to grow. They, they want to grow the brand. Yeah. Um. And there was that. There's the was it NBC or or something. There was the uh, behind the badge show um, on on Watford to, a couple of years ago, and I think they're they're hugely open to that. Um, and I think it just gets Watford recognised around the world, and I think it's brilliant. And it goes back to that expectation thing. It's sort of we've got to adjust to the fact that we're trying to position ourselves as as trying to leverage that interest in in English football, trying to not ride on the coattails, but be a be an actual part, play a real part in the in the Premier League, be a pillar of that of that world famous league, and. I love it. I think it's absolutely fabulous. It's because we've got good stuff to talk about, obviously. It's really interesting stuff. And it's almost like you sit back and, and cross your arms and watch everyone else catch up and go, yeah, see, we know what we're doing. This club's going places and we're doing things the the right way. So we sort of feel quite smug, I think, at the... Yeah. Smug's the wrong word. That's that's not right. But at the end of a week where there has been these wonderful pieces... Um, it's it's just great, isn't it? And I think it's clever from the club. It's sensible from the club, and it's part of a a strategy to grow us and uh, and to get the brand out there and and yeah, to shout about what we've done. I think it's I think it's great, and I'm loving it. 
I, I think, uh, yeah, there was, there was something on that on the Premier League Today programme which really stuck with me. It's made me think a lot over the past couple of weeks. There's an American fan who lives in Atlanta. I don't think he's ever been to a live game, but is a, is a wholehearted horn. And he said, you know, we're not really little old Watford anymore. And I started to think about that, and it's, it's very much um, echoing what Mike's just said about uh, the kind of coverage we've had and the, the way that the club has allowed the media in to sort of to show that. But it's it also ties up with this thing about expectations because the reality is we can't we as fans we have to also change. You know, for years we were just this little club in Hertfordshire that was often trying to punch above its weight. We're really not that anymore. You know, we're we're not little old Watford anymore. Because here we are in the top eight of the Premier League, which is you know the biggest uh, league in the world in terms of viewers and uh, in terms of revenue. You know this Watford Football Club is now a multi multi million pound business, and uh, you know obviously as fans we don't want to uh, feel like we're part of a business, but we're fans of a football club. But equally, you know we're not little old Watford, and our attitude, I think, as as a group of fans, as a collective, has to also uh, embrace the idea that we are one of the biggest sides. You know, if we're in the top eight in the Premier League, that probably puts us in the top 15 clubs in Europe or top, you know, 18 clubs in Europe. So that's something that we have to stop thinking like the little guy <laughs> and start thinking like a sort of medium-sized guy, if you like, not necessarily one of the big boys, but we're not the little guy in the corner, you know, with our boxing gloves, trying to trying to hold our own with these these enormous, you know, football clubs. We're 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 becoming one of them because of uh, of the players that we have, because of the way the club is run, because of the revenue that we can bring in, because of the kind of players that we can buy. I mean, there's a, th- a lovely moment in that FT article where it turns out that someone rushes into um, London Colney and says, "There's a lad called Domingos Queener in." the car park it's like 10 to 12 uh you know are we we interested in him and someone goes he's phenomenal (laughs) they rush out they ring up west ham deal's done in 10 minutes for a million quid now that is a very interesting story for us because this is a this is a good young prospect we've seen him at reading we saw him at stadium mk we know that he's got real potential and there he is in our car park not chelsea not tottenham because he probably doesn't feel they've got uh, a pathway but he feels like Watford might be the next step for him because he can he can see a pathway into the first team, into getting that very important Premier League experience at a young age and, and then developing on from there. Chalabar made the same decision. Hughes made the same decision. And that's where we are. We're not little old Watford, you know, trying to pick up scraps from the championship. We're, we're getting quality young players to come to our club because they trust that the club will develop them because that is the model we have. And I think more and more people are starting to understand how we run our club. It's not just, oh, they sat their managers and have 15 players every summer there's like there's a brain behind it we're settled we're well owned we're well run and that's why we're doing well you know you're absolutely right you know the 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 the, the behind the the scenes bit when they talk about um domingo being signed at the last minute was fascinating uh, and and that ft article for me was really backed up what i already knew um found it interesting that they that, that you know, scotts we said you know we we, we ducksby said that we're going to you know, sign someone if we like them. We'll sort out and we'll get them to Watford whenever we can, um, which is what they've been doing with you know young lads from South America. Um, so, and they're 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 ready to take risks. And it seems to be that they're not taking multi-billion pound or multi tens of tens of thousands of millions of pounds. 
risks. They're taking risks, and they've got they've got a hundred contracts ready to go, like different types of contracts they need to to get people to sign. And and that was that was new, I suppose, in that way. But the, the bit I really liked about the Telegraph interview, you know, knowing what it's like day to day and how you know how things are going to affect us on a weekly basis in the lead up to Southampton um, was the fact that players come in every day and they rate themselves, how much they ache, how much they, how much they weigh, um, how much they slept. And that they're really getting to know the finer details of a player, but also through them and, and their personality. The fact that they got a table tennis and a pool table, which is all part of the camaraderie that you need in a football club um, to keep it competitive with each other, but also to keep it fun. So they're, you know, they're not those, some of those things are new, some of them aren't, but it was a lovely sort of feeling of, as a Watford fan, not as a, someone from outside, seeing a very well-organised and thought, thoughtful club. Yeah, that, that glimpse behind the curtain, and it, it kind of answers a few questions, doesn't it? Because we've said that the team feels like a team, it feels like a club moving in the right direction, and those, those details that you mentioned in the Telegraph um, article, back, they fill in those, those gaps, don't they? Because it just it, it screams a, a, a team that is, like you say, getting to know each other and working to do that, and I think... Probably, I think Javi Gracia has a big has a big hand in this whole um, new sort of movement, this new approachable Watford. I think because how many times do you open a newspaper or, or turn on Sky and you see Javi's beaming face? Um, I think he's very approachable. He's he's very media savvy, but he's also integrated this this stuff like you mentioned, John, um, that that enables this great team spirit and and team ethic. That I think we'll see us bounce back again uh, against Southampton after a after a bad bad result. And yeah, it's just it's thrilling to read it, isn't it? It's you can't help but but smile for, when you read read this stuff and, and get that sort of detail. And any football fan loves a, a glimpse behind the curtain, don't they? It's uh, and it's great that we're behind our curtain. It's some really good stuff. <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. We recorded the podcast last week uh, outside the ground straight after the Huddersfield Town game. And late that evening, some very sad news came from uh, Leicester with a, a helicopter crash, which we, we later learned um, meant the death, uh, unfortunate death and timely death of their, their owner. Um, and there was a massive outpouring, not just from from Leicester fans, but from from football fans uh, across the the country because of what he sort of did for Leicester. I think Leicester fans talk about the the personality and the character they got to know, and and yeah, everyone else sort of talks about uh, an owner who allowed them to dream because of what he allowed and what happened whilst he was chairman of Leicester City Football Club. Um, it. It was very sad, uh, Mike, um, but it's been lovely how it's been uh, reacted to. You're right. Obviously, desperately, desperately sad. But the thing in the sort of hours after it and and, uh, as Sunday progressed and as as it realised the news was going to be bad, what I I found, I'm not sure quite how to describe it, but the, the outpouring of, it wasn't grief, but support from fellow football supporters I found really quite touching actually and it, it's happened happened before I think probably for us it was when when GT sadly passed away and the you know that these people that you have arguments with week in week out send you a message there's no tinge of of sarcasm no nothing apart from just best wishes and it's sort of like the closest you're going to get to a to a hug from from fellow football fans and the, just the way that the football world reacted 
to each other. I thought it was so, I don't know, like I say, it, 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 was, it, was, it was touching the way the football family comes together. And it reminds you, you know, sometimes you get so hit up about football and Twitter's a blooming toilet and uh, fans are chucking coins around. But primarily, actually, when it comes down to it, football supporters love each other and look out for each other because we all love the game. We're all in it for the same same thing. So I thought that outpouring of, of shared sort of um, grief and understanding was, 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 like I say, very touching. And, yeah, I, th- I think it touched a nerve with, with so many because obviously he did great things for not just Leicester City Football Club, but Leicester City, the city itself, the, the investments he put in to various charities and hospitals and stuff like that. But from a, from a football point of view, it's that, it's that phrase that you said there, John. Yeah, he allowed us to dream he allowed fans of of other clubs to 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 dream you know that that do a Leicester which is now a a footballing term it was entirely down to was entirely down to him and i think in these days where you do sometimes you can stop and question uh, what's the point of the premier league especially you know when we're talking this this week about the the the, the super league perhaps being closer than we than we might have thought but watford aren't going to win the premier league or are we because we might do a Leicester, and it was all it was all down to all down to him. So allowing us to dream, I think, is a real poignant phrase, and I think sums it up really nicely. And um, yeah, obviously our thoughts with Leicester, incredibly emotional scenes at, that that win at, at Cardiff yesterday, I thought was was just staggering. The 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 togetherness that they showed, and just united in in sadness. But football is such a, a powerful thing, and I think we're lucky that it allows us to just occasionally show you know that that side um so so publicly incredible scenes desperately desperately sad um and i think the the great thing is his legacy will 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 live in will live on for a, for a, for a long long time because what fans have come together um all donated some money uh, to produce a, uh, a banner uh, which will be uh, part of the game uh, when Watford play Leicester uh, in a few weeks time and uh, also enough money even extra money that will be donated to local charities in, in Leicester so you know, what for fans showing their part for this? But, but Colin, you know, we've had our share of owners um, over the years. Very few are good. Um, we've had the, the good uh, at the moment, the fantastic at the moment, should I say, uh, of, of Gino Pozzo and, and how he's running our club properly, which we've already which sort of discussed. And then, and then, of course, there was Elton, who was a man who um, was the owner of our club. I wouldn't say, I don't know, I always, he was, he allowed the club to become what it, it was and supported the club in becoming what it was as an owner. You know, he almost let GT create the club that we now know and love. Absolutely. I think it was very different back then. I think owners, um, uh, obviously not Elton, but owners sort of took back seats and in, employed managers uh, to run the club from top to bottom. People like Ferguson, I guess is probably the last example of that. I don't think anyone really had much knowledge of owner, or who the owner was, or what the owner was doing uh, in in during Ferguson's tenure. And you had you know you had people, uh, you had managers like that all across the league, all across the leagues, with owners taking a bit of a back seat. So I think Elton John bought the club, made a brilliant appointment, uh, you know, under advice from other people, got Graham Taylor in, and and Graham. You know, uh, ran the club from top to bottom and created the club that that, that we now know. I think but the, these days, these days, I think that the ownership model is is uh, is quite different, and we're we're quite lucky because some clubs are just owned by billionaires. So if you look at Mashiri uh, Everton, let's say, it's sort of a plaything for him, really, and uh, it's not really his job. It's not his living. Whereas at our club, we've got 
Gino, and this is his job. This is this is how he. This is his career. He's not. He hasn't made his money somewhere else. He's not a massive billionaire. I mean, his dad had a had a business in Italy, which which funded the purchase of Udinese. I understand that. But Gino's job is to is to run this club. And as I said before, it's a multi million pound business. And so he's 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 more hands on. That is a model where the owner and the chief executive are more hands on, and the coach is the coach but doesn't run the club. And if you get a bad one. As we've seen, at, at uh, I think Villa is the best example. Randy Lerner came to Villa. He was heralded as uh, someone who had been involved in sport previously. But in the end, it went very badly wrong. Lack of investment, lack of interest, lack of turning up. Uh, we've got Mike Ashley at Newcastle. Again, someone who has made millions through his other business, his actual business, and has bought this club, but isn't really that interested. He doesn't seem to want to grow it, invest in it, make it as good as it can be. So I think... Uh, Going back to Leicester, he was clearly more in the in the Gino uh, uh, mould. In that, yes, he was a, a multi-millionaire from uh, Thailand, but he'd come to Leicester not just to own and make money from a football club, but to really contribute to the community uh, and build the club, uh, and of course achieve the the, the, the you know the the summit of Everest, if you like, uh, winning the, the the Premier League. So it's a it's a terrible loss uh, for Leicester City Football Club, for his family, for Leicester. But he was one of the good ones. And I think that's one of the reasons, apart from, I totally agree about the giving everybody else, you know, the, the, the dream that we, we sort of had become a little bit tarnished because it was like, oh, the big six, here we go again. And, and somehow Leicester managed to break through that and win. And that, that gave us all hope. But I think also just the fact that he was uh, clearly such a, a brilliant man in the way he connected with the players and uh, with the staff at the club and with the city. I think he was one of the good ones, and that's why there's been such an enormous outpouring of of grief for him. Um, but yeah, so owners are you know they you just never quite know what you're going to get. And at the moment, as a Watford fan, I do feel very lucky that we've got someone who's very very dedicated to running our club and improving it and growing it and connecting with the fans and doing all the things that Gino's done uh, in the way that Elton allowed Graham Taylor to do. And I, I don't think Elton always gets the credit that he deserves really for, for what he did for us. I think so much of the emphasis is on Graham, which is quite right, of course, because he did run the club from top to bottom. He ran Elton John <laughs> as well, pretty much at times, when Elton was having a tough time. Uh, he was there to support him, and that's why their relationship was, was so close and why it was so productive. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, you, you have to be so careful what you wish for when you, when, uh, you know, who are Newcastle going to get next? Are they going to get somebody good or are they going to get someone even worse? You just don't know. And it's very much in the lap of the gods and it's not something fans can control. Uh, and sometimes it goes badly wrong and it's, it can be very painful and frustrating. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Um, the good thing about this award, Mike, is that we don't have to badger our listeners to go and vote for us. A, a judging panel does this at the uh, SFS. But we're not the only representatives uh, for, of Watford. Uh, Dave Messenger, the supporter liaison officer, um, uh, is also being nominated for that role. Uh, and we'll be, we're off at the first Monday, I think it is, in December. Uh, to Tower of London, not to be beheaded, but we'll uh, hopefully be uh, <laughs> getting a, a, a little ward. Uh, and of course, that's not the important thing. The important thing is, um, you know, being recognised uh, for the things that we do on a weekly basis, which is uh, a lovely, lovely feeling. And thank you so much, so much for everybody uh, on social media who has sort of sent their, their message of congratulations. I think actually those alone uh, are worth, uh, worth it. We're going confidently into Southampton then, Mike. Yes? 
Yes, I think so. We, um, I want to name drop here. I was talking to Steve Sidwell the other day, <laughs> and uh, we were talking about the Bournemouth game, and he said, you know what, as a player, sometimes you need those. Um, so we've had Bournemouth, that was a blip. We've had Newcastle, which is a different kind of blip. But I'm absolutely confident that, that they'll use it as inspiration to, to go again and to, to perform well at Southampton and to, and to hopefully give them a hiding. We go, we go confident, we go confident for reason. Let's, uh, let's go and enjoy it. Uh, they've got Hammer today. Let's go and hammer them next week. So thank you very much for listening and thank you again for your, your comments uh, via social media at Awful Podcast on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Um, for about our award uh, and we'll find out fairly fairly soon uh, we'll find out in, even sooner how Watford react to uh, defeat away at Newcastle and that will be next week thank you very much and uh, come on you on come on you on